The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored by AnchorLight. For more information about their programs and residencies, please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. Hi there. Welcome back to Art Curious, where we explore the unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in art history. Welcome back to the season finale of our very unique season. I really hope that you enjoyed it and that you've stayed with me this whole time. As you know, instead of releasing our usual spate of new episodes, I've been taking some time off to research a new book. So to save myself a huge workload and to spare my sanity, I have been sharing eight of my favorite segments from my audio course, Breaking Barriers, Women Artists of Renaissance Europe. I hope that if you haven't already had the chance to check out Breaking Barriers, this is one that will speak to you. It is a 21-day course where you get a mini-episode of Art Curious every day for three weeks straight to learn about some artists whom you may never have heard of before, like one of the ones that I'm speaking about today. You can register for the course and start learning new things at avid.fm jennifer. And today, we are not only talking about another fascinating artist, but one whose story involves a great lost-and-found twist and also provides us with the opportunity to discuss how some artists can be quote-unquote forgotten and then rediscovered. Welcome to the story of Plautila Nelly. Plautila Nelly is one of those artist nuns living and working in Renaissance Florence, like Maria Ormani earlier, whose fascinating works we discussed previously in the Breaking Barriers course. And like Ormani and Catherine of Bologna and many other women of the cloth, Plautila Nelli came from a wealthy family who had a long history as fabric merchants. She was born Pulisena Margarita Nelli, that's her full given name, and her family was one of those big-name aristocrats of Florence, kind of like the Medici and like the Albizzi, whom we mentioned in another class. But in contrast to the Medici family, for example, we don't know too terribly much about Pulisena's early years or her family life. But what we do know is that she officially joined the convent of Santa Caterina di Cafaggio in Florence at age 14, becoming a sister of the Dominican order and taking on a new religious name, Suor Plautula. Oftentimes, joining a religious order meant that expensive dowries for a wealthy aristocrat's daughter could be avoided. After all, fees to enter a convent were certainly more affordable or achievable even for the richest of the rich, rather than marrying off your kids. So Pulisena became Plautila. And her sister, by the way, did the same, and she became known as Suor Petronilla. And Plautila forged this new identity and a new life. In our previous classes on Maria Ormani and on St. Catherine of Bologna, we spoke about the ways that these religious women created art, working oftentimes for the good of the religious order where they lived by illuminating manuscripts or producing textiles to support the convent or other religious orders, for example. Such women also occasionally completed projects on commission for wealthy nearby patrons. This was certainly the case for Plautila Nelli, but there was an extra reason behind her artistic projects, too. The Dominican convent to which Plautila belonged was founded by Girolamo Savonarola, who was a Dominican friar who would later turn out to be a rather polarizing figure of Renaissance religious history. 
One of the things that Savonarola recommended of the Dominican nuns was that they should take up things like drawing and devotional painting as a way to avoid the deadly sin of sloth. Because, you know, idle hands, devil's playground, blah, blah, blah. So the Dominican sisters of Santa Caterina took up this call and faithfully formed this little community of religious artists. But that also meant that most of these women just learned on the fly. And Plautula Nelli seems like no exception. She was basically self-taught, learning by doing what many artists do even now, studying the artists who came before and copying their works to learn the basics of artistic technique. Some of Plautula's favorites were Andrea del Sarto and Agnolo Bronzino, Florentine artists themselves. But her very favorite artist was Fra Bartolomeo, a Florentine monk also associated with the Dominicans whose innovative draftsmanship and emotive religious scenes would end up majorly influencing Plautula's style. Fra Bartolomeo died in 1517, which was a few years before Plautula Nelli was born, but his style and his subject matter still loomed large for her. She had learned of his works via one of his pupils, another Dominican monk. And according to the late writer and philanthropist Jane Fortune, one of the foremost modern champions of the work of Plautula Nelli, the monk, the Dominican who introduced Nelli to Fra Bartolomeo's work, left behind documentation noting that he ended up giving Fra Bartolomeo's surviving drawings to, quote, a nun who paints in the convent of Santa Caterina, unquote. There is almost no doubt that this was Plautula, a fervent admirer of Fra Bartolomeo's and, subsequently, a collector of his works, too. Soon enough, Nelly was gaining attention for her artworks, for how well they were made, and also perhaps gaining attention because of the novelty factor of herself as this self-made nun artist. Thus, she began quickly amassing patrons outside of religious establishments and thus, it's probably not much of a surprise to note that our friend, Giorgio Vasari, that documenter of Renaissance art, eventually caught wind of Nelly's career. He wrote about her in his second edition of The Lives, saying, quote, In the houses of gentlemen throughout Florence, there are so many pictures by Plautula Nelly that it would be tedious to attempt to speak of them all, unquote. Obviously, she and her works made quite the impression. Just how those impressions were made is coming up next, right after this quick break. And if you want to avoid the ads, then join us on Patreon for as little as $4 a month. Patreon.com slash ArtCurious. Hey, all you true crime fans, this is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morphe. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. Welcome back to Art Curious. There are a few interesting ways that Plautula Nelly separated herself from her fellow nun artists, and also from many other female artists in Florence during the Renaissance. 
The first is that she emphasized the most exciting moments of each of her painted scenes in a way that surely presages the coming of the Baroque period in art, which was all about drama. Like in her painting, Lamentation with Saints, where Jane Fortune points to the fact that you could see the female saints showing physical manifestations of their immense sadness over the death of Christ, showcasing red-rimmed eyes and tears streaming down their cheeks. Another way that Plautilinelli differentiated herself is that she worked big, really big. While she also created the kinds of small-scale works that you would expect to see from many of the artists of that time, things like drawings, miniatures, and illustrations for manuscripts, she also created large-scale paintings that were meant to fit in major spaces in churches, monasteries, and convents. And this wasn't always the norm for female artists of any kind during this time, to work so big, let alone for a nun to do so, when we know that they typically created works that were much smaller in scope. Plautilinelli did both. She worked big and small. But it is her biggest work that rightly gets all of the attention today, though not just for its size. Her biggest and most famed work is her undated piece, The Last Supper, made for the refectory, or the dining hall, of the Florentine Church of Santa Maria Novella. If you're familiar with any image of The Last Supper in art history, then surely the one that's popping into your head first and foremost right now is the famed and feeble fresco by Leonardo da Vinci in Milan. And it's not surprising that Leonardo, someone who was born and raised right outside of Florence proper, would have opted to paint a scene of The Last Supper. Because Florence, as a town, was really into these scenes, and Florentine artists created their own little cottage industry to fulfill the requests from patrons and religious orders, who often commissioned artists to make frescoes or oil panels of this famous New Testament scene, aptly enough, most of the time, for their dining halls. It wasn't just an apropos subject matter for those spaces. These Last Supper scenes had a purpose. They were meant as visual reminders of Jesus's final meal, especially for the monks or nuns who were viewing these images who could then contemplate the ramifications of Jesus's final meal during their own lunch or dinner breaks. Beginning in the 1300s, artists throughout Florence began creating these works, which are sometimes called cenacoli. There are at least eight different examples of the Last Supper scenes spread throughout Florence today. And some bigger Renaissance names besides Leonardo, like Pietro Perugino and Domenico Ghirlandaio, all got in on the action. So again, it's no surprise that Leonardo took this concept with him to Milan. And then no surprise, too, that Plautilinelli was asked to make her own versions. And yet, and yet it is a surprise, because this is the first known painting of The Last Supper to have been created by a female artist. And unlike Leonardo and his contemporaries, Nelly couldn't really afford the time nor the resources to teach herself how to make works in fresco, which often involves painting really quickly in wet plaster before the plaster dries, thereby setting the image permanently within, as if it's really embedded into the wall. She already had to teach herself how to draw and how to paint, and she was good at it. So she ended up painting this, her version of The Last Supper, not on traditional fresco, but 
in oil and canvas. And it is stunning. It is big, seven meters long, or just about shy of 23 feet. Leonardo's, by the way, is about five feet bigger. So this is a fascinating rarity. It is a Last Supper scene that's not only large, but one that's done by a woman and a self-taught nun at that. There is more to our story, including some fascinating twists and turns in the life of Plautilanelli's most famous masterpiece. Come right back. Welcome back to Art Curious. What's just as fascinating to me as Plautilinelli's life is the journey that her most incredible work of art has taken over the centuries. As we've discussed, Plautilinelli's Last Supper was meant most likely to follow in that Florentine tradition of decorating refectories, and so Nelly sought to do the same for Santa Cantarina. And there, her finished work did hang in the relative privacy and quiet of her convent. But then, something interesting happened. In the late 18th century, about 200 years after Plautilinelli painted her Last Supper, none other than Napoleon Bonaparte came a-knockin' to Florence as part of his imperial expansion. And part of what Napoleon was really jazzed about was going to Italy and emphasizing things like civic power and duty over religious power and duty. And so he opted to, in the words of historian Alan J. Reinerman, quote, suppress religious orders and advocate for the sale of their properties, unquote. As you might expect, this rigorous restructuring meant that the Dominican convent of Santa Caterina was shut down and later demolished entirely. And this is where we stop and we thank Plautilinelli for not taking the time to learn fresco, because if she had painted her Last Supper in fresco, it would have been just seen as part of the wall in a convent that was meant for destruction. We might never have known about this work, or even much about Plautilinelli at all, because her most famous piece could have been reduced to rubble. But luckily, some thoughtful soul or souls removed the canvas from the rectory wall rolled it up, and sent it into storage at the nearby Basilica of Santa Maria Novella. In most cases, it's probable that this would have been the end of the story. But thankfully, in the case of Plautilinelli and her Last Supper, it's not. In the early 2000s, philanthropist Jane Fortune founded an organization called Advancing Women Artists, which was dedicated to the identification, restoration, and exhibition of works by women. And it's AWA that really put Plautilinelli back on the map by funding the in-depth conservation and care of these rare works of art that the world really had forgotten about. After a successful restoration of another painting by Nelly, a work called Lamentation with Saints, AWA tackled a newly rediscovered work by the artist, Her Last Supper, one that was found languishing again in Santa Maria Novella's storage area. But the rediscovery wasn't the only surprise. The work itself had another one, another special and significant element in this rare work of art. The Last Supper is the only work that Plautilinelli ever signed, along with an inscription asking viewers to, quote, 
pray for the paintress, unquote. All of this further emphasizes the awe-inspiring fact that it was a woman who created this piece and, whether intentionally or not, was that she was someone who placed herself on the same footing as Leonardo, Ghirlandaio, and other male painters from her own city who carried on this tradition of depicting such a famous scene, The Last Supper. And now, Nelly's painting, after several years of restoration, is finally on view at the Museum of Santa Maria Novella, where the public has been able to see it ever since October of 2019. Plautilinelli died in Florence in 1588 at the age of 64, and instead of languishing forever in art historical obscurity, she is now back on the front lines of education and appreciation of artists from the Renaissance, receiving further claim as, according to some historians, the first female painter of Renaissance Florence. I so appreciate you taking the time to listen to Art Curious today. Thank you so much, and I truly hope that you enjoyed this entire season of the show. I know that it has been different than normal, but it has meant so much to me that you've allowed me this flexibility to take a little step back. It also would mean a ton to me as an independent creator if you would join my course, Breaking Barriers, Women Artists of Renaissance Europe, on sale today at avid.fm jennifer. This is the last episode of our season, but remember that we always have exclusive video content coming at you over on YouTube. So check us out there. The link is in the show notes for you on this handy dandy podcast app right now. And then we will be back in the spring for real with a new spate of episodes. So thank you again for being with me for season 12 of Art Curious. And until I see you next time, stay curious. <laughs>